Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 165 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and before I introduce today's guest, I just wanted to give a little shout out to Print Design Academy. I'm rocking Print Design Academy with our founding members, doing some intros, and this week I've got some great content going up there. I'm sorry you missed the founding member opportunity to get involved and help build Print Design Academy. The next launch will be in early 2020. And if you don't want to miss when Print Design Academy goes live again for the public and opens up for new members, head over to printdesignacademy.com and add yourself to the waitlist. Don't miss it. That waitlist will be the first people to know when the doors reopen to Print Design Academy. And that's it. Now, the reason I bring that up is because with today's guest, we talk quite a bit about print and some wild, crazy things they have done with print. So who is my guest? My guest today is Armin Witt. He is the co-founder of Under Consideration, uh, of Brand New, and the BN Conference, which you need to know about. If you don't know about it, you need to know. During this episode, we talk about the band logos that he doodled for years before becoming a designer. And then what really ignited design for him and why it didn't happen until third year of his design program. He also tells us the startup story of under consideration, which I love hearing startup stories because, you know, when you get to a point where it's so big and so popular, you often look back and you hear the beginning stories and it's like, yeah, we were scrambling. We didn't really know what we were doing. And in this particular case, their business plan was on a muffin bag. So I loved hearing that story. He also tells us about the one logo that he saw and that has just stuck with him. And then, like I mentioned in the beginning, we get into print and we talk about the senses that you can interact with in print and how you can make a lasting impression in print and some of the crazy things that he and his wife have done for brand new conference. And yeah, it's a good one. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get to part one of my interview with Armin Witt. And here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Hello, Armin. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. Well, I have to ask you, are you ready for a Quickie? Uh, I would say every day (laughs) (laughs) in different contexts, but yes. Of course, of course. Um, Let's start with the tough stuff. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, My name is Armin Witt. I'm a graphic designer. Um, I've been doing doing this in one way or another for 20 years now. 
uh, originally from Mexico City, established under consideration with my wife and business partner in 2007. Mm -hmm. And we've sort of uh, rolled with the punches over the last 12, 13 years mm -hmm. um, to what we do today, which is uh, run a blog called Brand New and organize a conference called the Brand New Conference, as well as its first round. So it's safe to say you have a lot of spare time. Yeah, I, so uh, time, I, I could be knitting right now if I wanted to. <laughs> well, I'm glad you chose to be here instead of knitting. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I want to dive back even further than that and sort of start at the beginning of this story. Um, Armin, I want to know what your childhood was like. Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that sort of pointed you in this career path? Um, I'm not sure. I wouldn't say I had a creative childhood. I played a lot of Atari, mm -hmm. followed by a lot of Nintendo, followed by a lot of Sega Genesis, Classic. followed by having to graduate from high school to having to choose a career. Um, and I was a really bad high school student, just mm -hmm. like, I was hopeless. Like, there was no... You know, there was no indication that I would be good at anything, mm -hmm. um, but I had uh, kind of like doodled the Metallica logo on my notebooks for three years and the Iron Maiden logo. So, you know, I sort of uh, learned about graphic design and I thought that seems like the path of least resistance. Okay. Um, and I'll just go do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't think anything in my childhood influenced uh, what I would, what I wanted to do. Um, and like even now, like looking back at it with more wisdom, I, I mean, other than I think the the amount of time that I, that I spent playing uh, video games, I think that sort of gave me an advantage when it came to using the mouse and keystrokes. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I think that's a really uh, lame childhood <laughs> influence uh, to bring up. Perfect. So it really wasn't until you were finished high school and you looked back on these you know, heavy metal band logos you'd been drawing and doodling that you really went, oh, maybe graphic design's for me. And it, it wasn't even that. It was just like, this seems like something that I don't have to memorize things. I don't have to take tests that are going to be hard. Yeah. Um, so I'll just do that. And it wasn't until two years into the career, into the into being in in college. And mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to most American colleges where, you know, this was four years, it was like four years art school. It was complete, a pro, four-year program devo completely devoted to graphic design. Um, and it wasn't until the third year started that I really got into it and I realized, oh, you know, I'm sort of good at this. My teachers seem to think so. Mm -hmm. I'm enjoying it. And uh, I think back then, I think it was when I started uh, kind of like nurturing my brand new criticism skills because I would be the only one that whenever we would pin stuff on the wall at, at, uh, in class, I would be the only one being like, oh, that's bad. Oh, that sucks. Or like, you know, or be, if something was good, I would say it was good. But like everyone else was really quiet. Um, so I think that that's when I started to get really into it and thinking like, oh, this is interesting and this is something that I enjoy and that I could potentially make a living off of mm -hmm. down the road. So the sciences and the math stuff just did not seem like a viable career choice. Not so, in any way. <laughs> perfect. So then art school, at what point in all of this going on, you know, through high school and then through into the art school, you said you were born in Mexico. In Mexico. When mm -hmm. did you move to the U.S.? 
So I moved to the U.S. right after I finished college. So this was 1999. Mm -hmm. And the reason I moved to the U.S. was because I had met my girlfriend at the time, also in, uh, in Mexico. And she was also studying graphic design. And we're in different colleges. And she decided that she didn't like hers and that she wanted to finish her design education in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So she went to Atlanta to Portfolio Center. And because she had, she was the only girlfriend that I ever had, ever. So I just thought I'm going to stick with this one because <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get another one. So mm -hmm. uh, that gamble paid off. And, nice. Uh, so yeah, so I moved to the U.S. in 1999. Like so, I finished my thesis. I got done as quickly as possible. And then this was it was a good time to go into the market because it was the original dot-com boom. Mm -hmm. and, and there were so many companies, so many big companies hiring designers, whether you knew how to code or not, or whether you knew how to do websites or not. There was just so much demand. Um, yeah, so I ended up work, uh, going to a large internet consultancy, and uh, they processed my work visa. And you know they held my job for me for three months, which now would be you know, unthinkable for someone want mm -hmm. to wait for you for three months, then to pay for your visa and then to do all the, you know, legal transactions. Uh, now that never happened. So, I mean, it was kind of like being in the right place at the right time mm -hmm. with a decent uh, level of, uh, 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 you know, I was a good enough designer that I, that I got in. Um, but I think with, with a portfolio that I graduated with, now it would be so hard to get a job. <laughs> so kind of right timing and it all just all just worked out that way. Yeah. Perfect. So but rewinding, you finished um, art school in Mexico and it wasn't until the third year that it really clicked for you and you started realizing that you have an opinion on this and you have something to say about this. And that's what really made it feel right for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was with the first it was the first class assignment where we had to do a logo, not just a logo, like we had done a few logos before, mm -hmm. but it was the first time they was like, okay, do, now do the business card and the letterhead and the envelope. And that is sort of when it clicked, where it was like, oh, it's a system. Like you don't have to just use, you know, create a logo and put it in places. You can create a world, a visual um, uh, uh, language around it. And I think that's when it clicked. We're like, okay, there's more to this than just making logos that seemed fun enough but th that was like what uh really got me very cool so then moved over to the states internetboom.com landed the big job and then at what point so did you stay at that internet consultancy until you cut and went freelance or how did that transition happen uh no there was uh, there's still a number of jobs between uh being employed and then being on our own uh partly because being from mexico i had to have a, a uh uh, employment to keep my work visa yep. a lot, you know, viable until I got my green card. So after Atlanta, you know, so that thing went bust, and I was literally in the office until one day they said, like, all right, we're done. Like, you know, don't come tomorrow. The office is closed. Uh, they went through rounds of layoffs, and I somehow survived through all of them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, then then at the end, it was just like, all right. Yeah, we're done. Thank you for your time. Uh, <laughs> it was a, a we're done. Yeah. So the good thing is that by then I had a job lined up in Chicago, and um, it was completely the opposite from what I had been doing in Atlanta. So it was a small design firm. We were only four people, mm 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and there, what was great about it was just like getting, uh, you know, as opposed to being in Atlanta, we were 300 people in that office, but it was a 10,000 employee company. Wow. So all of a sudden, we're four people, and you, you get to see, I got to see how a small business is run. Um, everything from getting clients to having toilet paper stocked up, you know, those things that you think about that, yeah. you know, some, someone needs to make that happen in a small business and that always, you know, ends up being the owner. Um, so then after that, uh, so I, I was there for like three years, two and a half years. And then like me and my, uh, me and Brian and my wife and partner, we always wanted to move to New York. Like that was mm-hmm. the goal. So eventually we made the move. And it was not the best time. Like it was, uh, it wasn't the still the uh, the recession of two thousand eight, but the economy was sort of so so. It took me a really long time, almost a year, to find a job. Um, and then eventually, I found a job uh, at a small firm called Decor Design. Mm-hmm. Then I was there for six months, and then Michael Brewer at Pentagram sent me an email and said, like, hey, you know, would you like to come work for me? I'm like, yes, please, <laughs> right now. I'd love to do that. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so what was, the, what was the turning point to when you and your wife decided to go freelance and give it your all as with the freelance business? Yeah, so, so uh, after Deco Design at being a pentagram, I was there for, um, what was it, like two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then we were getting ready to have a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by then, my wife had been working at Addison, which was a large uh, like corporate design firm. Okay. And then, so she went on, she started doing some freelance on her own for like for a few months to start setting up some of that um, workflow to have uh, freelance work coming in. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, and then at Pentagram, they gave me three months off of uh, paternity leave. Oh, nice. half pay, which, you know, it was a really nice surprise. I didn't expect it, but I thought, sure, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. So our daughter was born, took three months off. It was great. It was fun. Then I came back, and like two weeks after coming back, I was like, man, I cannot keep doing this. I don't want to be stuck in the office from seven in the morning to 10 at night and not seeing my kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, uh, <laughs> then two weeks later, I told Brian, like, I think I want to leave Pentagram. And she was like, yeah, I kind of got that feeling. So we, we were sitting at a coffee shop and we like, you know, on the little uh, bag that they gave us our muffins, like we wrote down our business plan for the next six months. I uh, just trying to figure out where, you know, how much money do we have in the bank? Where is money, where could money come from in the next six months? And they were like, all right, let's just do it. Um, obviously, the numbers added up. Uh, yeah. And they were like, okay, all right, so let's just uh, do it. And uh, we hadn't planned to do it that early. Uh, but yeah, it just worked out that way. And yeah, we sort of uh, didn't, have not looked back since then. Wow. You know, what I'm always fascinated by is, you know, the, you and under consideration and brand new, like it's, it's this large, well-known um, business and, you know, you're very well-known, the conference is well-known, um, you know, and I had a similar experience talking to Leland um, from Chobani and he gave sort of the Collins startup story um, and hearing these stories of these now really well-known large businesses and how they started, like you're saying, it started with a business plan on a muffin bag. 
Okay. Like this, it's fascinating to me where these things start and then how they progress to sort of where they are. Um, so throughout your design journey, Armin, what stands out to you as the most influential design of your life so far? Something you saw and has just stuck with you? Uh, designed by someone else or? Yeah, something, something okay. by somebody else that you saw and just really stuck with you. Um, you know, I would say, I think something as corny as the Milton Glaser, I love New York logo. You know, mm -hmm. I think we all, we all had that moment where we saw that and like, holy cow, like we can do that with type and graphics and say mm -hmm. so much. Um, so I think that, and I'm not that big a Milton Glaser fan, but that logo is just like, there's something about it that speaks to so many and sort of uh, hints at the potential of what you can do with graphic design that, uh, that I think there's something about it that I've never been able to replicate it. I don't know, none of my logos do that. None of my design work operates on that level, but just like that, the, you know, the, the thought that you can do that with what you do, I think sort of informs, uh, how we do, how I do things, you know, and the only way somebody would not know what that logo is, is if they have no idea that New York exists, right? <laughs> if you have seen New York in a movie, if you have been, heard anything about New York, you will know that logo. And that's the other thing that's so big about it is it just, it became something massive. Yeah. And just like, you know, the simplicity of, of it that allowed it to be, uh, replicated and parodied so easily um i think it just it speaks further to its uh you know power as a graphic that even when you take away the and why or even if you replace the heart with something else like people know what you're referencing so yeah, yeah I mean, it's, pretty, it's a pretty impressive thing so true you're right well said <laughs> Um, so Armin, a man in your position, I want to know who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and closely follow and what about them do you like? Oh, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot and you know, it varies by season you know, because there's so many out <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, time um, to follow my winter, my winter fans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, but I think you know, there's a, a few classics like Wolf Fallings, um, you know, uh, Panagram, different partners. Uh, you know, the whoever, I think uh, anyone that's doing interesting work at any time, it's just like, it's like getting candy. Like you see someone doing something like, oh, let's go see what else have they done. And uh, uh, so there's so many to mention. But I think anyone that we've invited to a conference in one way or another is someone that we're a fan of, um, mm -hmm. not in one way or another. In every way possible, we're a fan of the work. So, um, you know, if you want, if if anyone wants a, a really long list of who we admire now or in the past, in the last ten years, just so like looking at the list of speakers, <laughs> that reflects, sure. you know, who who we're enjoying, whose work we're enjoying at any given point. Definitely, really well said. So, hit up the conference, get the speaker list, and that's what's going to give you the inspiration. Yep. <laughs> So Armin, I want to slide now into a little talk about print and packaging, and I want to hear how you have utilized print and packaging in your design career. Um, briefly, we had talked about before we started recording um, the the BN conference um, most recent guide, and you know the lenticular stuff and three D stuff that you were doing with the cover of that. Um, I want to hear some other stories. What else do you got about around print and packaging that is really close to you? 
Um, yeah, so uh, packaging, I've never done any packaging whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I've never, it never sort of crossed my career path. So I, mean, I think it's something that you either, you either focus on that or you don't. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of, there's a lot in that world that, you know, you either go for it or you, or you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but print, you know, I was born, <clears throat> I was brought up with print. Like I learned about graphic design, that it was a thing that you printed. Like it wasn't a thing that you put on screen. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So the, and even at the internet consultancy place that I ended up working at, you know, being the one, being that I knew about print, like I would be handed the postcard jobs or the t-shirt jobs or whatever. Uh, but I always had a big interest in printing and, you know, I enjoyed looking at paper swatches, which is a really, uh, weird thing to fetishize. About. Oh, no way, man. This <laughs> is totally normal. I love it. And actually, I noticed down on the shelf behind you, um, I can see like the Nina swatches and things like yeah. that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got those off to my side over here. Yeah. Yeah. So like I remember like whenever the paper rep would come in with donuts and paper swatches to the office to show you, it was like the best day ever because mm-hmm. you could get to see, you know, how other designers were using paper, how they were the printing techniques. And uh, and I'm not sure how exactly I learned other than messing stuff up, mm-hmm. not messing stuff up, but just like working with printers and asking stupid questions like, hey, how, like I saw this promo, how does this actually happen? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think print has been a big part of uh, what we've always done. And now with the conference where, you know, there's a, there's a number of print applications that go into the, um, into the whole experience. Mm-hmm. What we've done is that, all right, now that we're sort of in control of what we can do and we know what, how much money we can spend on, on things and that we're very willing to spend a lot of hours doing manual labor. Um, we have, uh, we tried to find ways to really expand on traditional print methods mm-hmm. or use traditional print methods, but then do something to them that's just like bananas that no one <laughs> in the right mind would do. Um, you know, like one time for the 2015 brand new conference, we spray painted the cover of all 1,000 um, covers for the program. So, but in order to do that, we had to spray paint almost 2,000 because it, then it had to go to the gold foil stamper, then it had to go to the printer, they had to go to the binder, and then they, at each step, they would all they would each, you know, discard 200 mm-hmm. just in getting set up. Yeah, and, the make know, ready. Yep. Make ready and stuff like that. So, so we're like, oh, we only have to do a thousand, and then the gold foil stamper were like, oh, we need an extra two hundred. The printer <laughs> were like, we need an extra two hundred too, and the binder will need an extra four hundred. Like, oh man, really? Um, so you know, we a lot of the fun is trying to figure out how can we between two people, just me and and my wife and partner, how do we how can we assembly line this in the most efficient way that won't drive us crazy? Mm-hmm. And we haven't figured it out because it all, we, we'll, we'll always end up being driven crazy by ourselves. <laughs> but, uh, and every time we're doing it, like right, right around the 400 mark, uh, we're like, why are we doing this? And then you know, trying to finish, and then we show it at the conference, and people love it. And they're like, that's why we do it. But there's moments where like, like right before you cross that middle point threshold where mm-hmm. you just like you cannot yet see the finish line 
like that's always where we're like, why? We should just like print, send this to a uh, you know FedEx office. Yeah. <laughs> and just one color job, just like get over, get, get it over <laughs> with. Yeah, we and, just can't go with that. But that's the great thing about about print is you can add those sort of hand finishes or unique finishes or different foils, different embossing. You can do these different things that interact with people and leave an impression with people, no pun intended, um, that lasts way beyond a digital ad of some kind, right? People will hang on to that program for years. I guarantee you that over half the attendees of that 2015 show where you spray painted the covers still have that guide, still have that program. Yeah. Yeah. That's always been our goal to just have something that you either, you don't want to throw away or you will feel very, very guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Oh, you know, I'm not going to throw this away. This guy spent so much time on it. I just feel bad about it. So uh, one way or another, I think it's, it does make for a good keepsake, but I think going back to what you said about, uh, you know, there's something about print that like whenever you get something that you sent to print to the printer and then you get a box back, there's a there's a level of excitement where you're opening that box and the smell of thing comes out yes. and you get to touch the thing and see the thing and turn it around that is unmatched by launching a website mm-hmm. like you launch a website and like oh, all right <laughs> great it's live <laughs> it's there yeah it's there like you can click on the domain and go to it so there's a, there's that lack of uh, there's a missing ritual part of digital stuff that you get with print stuff when you actually first get the the thing totally and you know when you said um you know you open the box and you get that smell there was one time i printed um 10,000 wedding catalogs and they were having a huge big fancy launch event the next day and the only way to hit the deadline was if i personally delivered all of those so i had an suv at the time and I put all the seats down and I filled this SUV with this 10,000 catalogs and I left it parked overnight, all fully enclosed. And then when I went in to get into the car early the next morning to drive down to the venue and start delivering these things, um, the smell, holy cow. <laughs> it's have, good in small doses, right? Yeah, small doses. <laughs> yeah, I think it took a month to get the smell out of the seats in the car. Yeah. But it, um, it's something special. It's something you never forget, That's the smell. And it interacts with so many senses yep. that it's just hard to forget. If it's too fresh, it will make your eyes water too. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. What I love the best is when you get there like so shortly right after it um, it's printed, and you those press sheets are still warm. When you go for a bindery check or something, and the press sheets are still warm. Yep, (laughs) love that. Um, So, Armin, the next few questions I have for you take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, and I want to pull those stories out and share those with the listeners. Mm-hmm. So what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Yeah, I think the most challenging part was... Uh... All right, you know how I love a good cliffhanger and I'm going to leave episode 165 part one right there, right before the challenges, right before the nitty gritty mm-hmm. and you got to wait till tomorrow, part two. Two. So thanks again for listening to part one of my interview with Armin Vitt. Tomorrow, part two goes up. Don't forget to come back for that. See ya.